All right, Galatians chapter 3, verse number 7. It says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. Now, this verse joins together two very, very important um, truths from the Word of God. And it, those truths being our justification, and, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. And it also joins together the blessing of Abraham or, or Father's blessing that was upon Abraham also being upon you and me. And we see that both of these, the justification and the blessing, are now in the arena of faith. The arena of faith as opposed to how they used to function in the Old Testament where they were in the arena of works. In other words, what, what you did. We said that our righteousness went from something you earned by something you did to something you became through something you believed. Amen. And so we have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We have become right before God in the eyes of God by faith. And because we've been justified, we now qualify to be blessed by our Heavenly Father. Amen. Now, last week we pointed out that these words, blessing or some version of them, and this word um, justify, which shares the same root word with the word righteous or righteousness, that we find uh, these words are some version of them in the Bible more than 500 times a piece. But we also find many verses where these, these two words and what they represent are combined within a single verse. So turn with me to Psalm, the 24th chapter, the 24th Psalm. Now, uh, Psalm 23 is perhaps the most popular psalm, the one that so many people are familiar with, but don't overlook um, its next door neighbor there, number 24, because Psalm 24 is also very powerful and very important. Psalm 24, and um, we'll begin at verse number one. Look, look at me for a moment. Let me just talk to you for a second, okay? Let me just talk to you for a second. I got a lot on my heart and mind this morning that I want to share with you. Um, two basic but very important things that we need to understand, okay? Two basic, basic in the sense that they're fundamental, they're foundational. Two basic but very important things that we need to understand, okay? You need to understand your sonship. S-O-N-S-H-I-P. You need to understand your sonship and you need to understand your standing. 
Okay? Your sonship and your standing. I'm going to say that a couple more times. Your sonship, you say, Pastor Mark, I'm a female. Your sonship, <laughs> amen, because the Bible says that, that through the new birth, even if you are of the female physical gender, you are still a son of God in his eyes. In other words, you, you are not, as the world might consider, a female to be less than, um, especially when it comes to things like inheritance and um, standing within the family. Amen. So in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, We're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There's neither male nor female. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither Jew nor Greek. Okay. So you need to understand your sonship, and you need to understand your standing. Okay. We have, because of Jesus, we have been given sonship. You are a son of God, and you have been given standing with God. Amen. Amen. This is really important. You see, it's one thing to be a son. It's another thing to be a son in right standing. Are you seeing this? Okay. I am, I am David and Brenda Winslet's son, but not only am I their son, I'm a son in good standing with them. You can be a son, but not be in good standing, Right? So we, we need to understand our sonship that, that we, in the eyes of God, are considered by God to be His children, to be His sons. Amen. And then we also see that we have right standing with Him. I'm not just a son of God, I'm a son of God in good standing. And, and so I'm using that word good standing because it's it's one that maybe we can connect with more in the sense of our understanding of how these things work, what it means to be in good standing with your boss or to be in good standing with, with, you know, with the judge or, or you know, these you know, kind of legal, cultural kind of terminology. But the good standing that we have with our Heavenly Father is not just good standing, it's right standing. Okay? We have right standing with Him. This is one of the definitions for righteousness, what it means to be justified or to be made righteous, just as if I'd never sinned, means that we have what? We have been restored into right standing before God in the eyes of God. So I am a son of God in right standing with God. You are a son of God in right standing with God. Amen? Come on now. I am a son of God in right standing with God. Say it with me. I am a son of God in right standing with God. You can do better. I am a son of God in right standing with God. Come on, one more time. I am a son of God in right standing with God. Amen. All right now. It's one thing to be a son of God. It's another thing to be a son of God in right standing. It's another thing altogether, it's another thing altogether to be a son of God having the same right standing with God as Jesus himself. So I'm not just a son of God in right standing, I'm a son of God who has the same right standing with God the Father as Jesus has with him. The right standing that Jesus has with Father God 
is no different than the right standing that I have with Father God because Jesus gave me the right standing that He has with the Father. He gave it to me as a gift. He did not give me some kind of beta version of His righteousness. He did not give me some kind of watered-down, uh, uh, less-than version of His right standing with God the Father. The same right standing that Jesus has with God the Father, He has given it to me. So I am a son of God in right standing with my Father. I have the same right standing with the Father as Jesus Himself. Amen. We're talking about sonship and standing. Amen. And these are things that we absolutely, positively, not only need to understand, we need to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to help us renew our minds to these truths. All right, now, with all that said, let's go back now to Psalm Number 24, let's begin at verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in His holy place? Are you seeing this verse number 3? It's asking the question. And remember now, this, is, this question is being asked from an Old Testament perspective, and the answer is nobody. Nobody has standing there. No, no, no one can, can stand in the presence of God. Okay? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, he who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, Selah. Selah means pause and reflect. Selah means, means to stop right here for a moment and think about what's being spoken to you. Okay? Now, as we pointed out last week, these verses are clearly prophetic in nature. These verses, we could say it this way, are well ahead of their time. Because we see in verse number 5 that the Word of God to us is that not only will we receive blessing from the Lord, but that we will also receive right standing from the God of our salvation. You see, it was not uncommon for someone to be given blessing from God, amen, for God to give that person blessing for God to bless them in some way but this idea of righteousness being given as a gift from God was something that was very rare was something that that was um, basically you had uh, Abraham as an Old Testament example and then David as an Old Testament example. So of all the millions upon millions of Jewish people now, these are descendants of Abraham, we see that only two of them are noted in the Scripture to have been given a gift of right standing with God in the eyes of God. So when he asked this question, who, who shall stand, right? Who shall stand? Notice then, he goes on to say that we'll receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Let me, um, I want to give you the same uh, two verses, Psalm 24, verse 5 and 6. Listen to it now from the Passion Translation. They will receive the Lord's blessing and righteousness given by the Savior God. 
they will stand before God, for they seek the pleasure of God's face, the God of Jacob. So he's saying, who may stand in his holy place? Remember, righteousness means right standing before God in the eyes of God. So when he's asking this question, who may stand, what is understood is that only the righteous have standing with God. Amen. Only those who are right before God in the eyes of God can stand before him. But now he's saying that he's going to give this standing as a gift. And notice that it says they will stand before God for they seek the pleasure of God's face. The New King James Version says the generation of those who seek him who seek your face. The, the Passion Translation says they seek the pleasure of God's face. Now let's take a moment and talk about what this is saying. Because we see two different aspects of God in the Bible, Father God in the Bible, that are often sought by men. We see that there are those who seek the hand of God, and we see that there are those who seek the face of God. So you have those who seek His hand, and those who seek His face. So what is being communicated by these two different attitudes towards seeking God? The idea is that those who seek the hand of God are people who are seeking God's help. They're seeking His provision. They're wanting Him to lift His hand and do something for them on their behalf. But then there's a whole nother group of people who are not only interested in God's help, not only interested in His hand, but they're interested in His face. They're interested in who He is. They're interested in fellowship with Him. They're interested in getting to know Him. They're interested in having standing before Him, not just so He can perhaps do something to help them, but they want to have standing before Him because they want to know Him and have fellowship with Him. Remember we talked about, and, and it's come up frequently here of late in, in, in uh, a lot of these teachings, but Jesus told a parable about a man who had two sons. We often call this parable the, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but really, it was as much about the older brother as it was the younger brother because the older brother represented the religious establishment, and that's exactly who Jesus was talking to on this particular day when he gave that parable. But if you look at that parable and break it down, what you see is one son crashed his life in what I call the ditch of religion. That was the older brother who tried to earn everything from his father and felt like you know, his dad owed him something. You've got the younger brother who crashed his life into the ditch of rebellion. Amen? And both of them missed the center, straight and narrow road in between the two ditches. And that's what I call the road of relationship. We see that both of these sons wanted their dad and they, they wanted their dad's help and they wanted their dad's stuff, but they didn't really want him. In other words, they wanted his hand, but they did not seek his face. They did not pursue a relationship with him. So he's talking here about seeking the face of God, but notice also to seek the pleasure of His face. The pleasure of His face. What, what is this, you know, to say the pleasure of His face? He's talking about seeking that which pleases God. He's talking about folks who are wanting a relationship with God not on their terms, but a relationship with Him on His terms. 
They're saying, Father, whatever's important to you, that's what's important to me. Whatever you want to do today, that's what I want to do today. Whatever you're looking for in a relationship with me, that's what I'm looking for in a relationship with you. They're not coming to God, you know, saying, God, look, I'll, I'll serve you if you do this, I'll, I'll this. And, you know, it's not on, not on their terms, on his terms. Not what they want, but what he wants. You ever had a relationship with somebody, but that relationship was always on their terms? They wanted to go eat as long as you would go eat where they wanted to go eat, right? They, had they, they wanted to do something for you as long as it was convenient with them, right? Again, Father's not looking for that kind of relationship with you, amen. He's wanting to have a, a, a communion with you, a, a fellowship with you, amen. And because he knows best, how silly is it for us to demand our way when his ways will always be better than our ways, so someone who seeks the pleasure of God's face is someone who says, not my will, Father, but yours be done. That's what Jesus, right? Jesus was on this earth setting an example of what it looks like, someone who seeks the face of God, someone who seeks the pleasure of God's face, and, and that was his ultimate prayer. Not what I want to do, but what you want to do. Not what I think's best, but what you think's best. So this is a, this is a, a, a whole new, different, and beautiful category of people on planet earth. Amen. Listen to me, please. Father God loves people who don't love Him. He's good to people who curse Him. Amen. And certainly, He has a whole bunch of children that are only seeking His hand. Amen. But my prayer from, from the very beginning has been that here at Heritage, there would be a group of people assembled, amen, who are not just seeking the hand of God, but who are seeking the face of God. People who want to know God. People who want to know God like very few people have ever known Him, that, that have ever lived on planet Earth. Because this is our Father's heart and this is His desire. Amen. Now, turn with me to Romans, the third chapter. Praise God. Let's go back over to the New Testament now. Romans chapter 3. I know sometimes having the advantage of the New Testament, it's may be somewhat difficult for us to understand what an amazing forward-thinking prophetic thought this is from the Old Testament that God would actually give right standing with himself as a gift. Those people were so indoctrinated into the concept of this was something that had to be earned and it was something that very few people would ever be able to earn. But if we worked really hard uh, you know, long enough, we might one day be one of those rare few that can stand in God's presence. Amen. See, again, there's so much that we take for granted. We, we stand here and we sing to Him and He honors His Word and He comes and dwells among the praises of His people. Where two or three, he says, are gathered together in my name, I'll be there in the midst of them. My brother, my sister, we don't understand what a luxury it is that we enjoy because this was not what the Old Testament believers enjoyed. This was not what they experienced. They could not stand in the presence of God. They did not have the audience with God, amen, like we have. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. The, the Bible says of you and me that we can come boldly into his presence and that we not only have standing with Him, but that we are seated together with Him in heavenly places. We, we don't just have access to Him. 
to stand before Him, but we can sit with Him. See, understanding your sonship, understanding your standing, that we are sons of God, and we are in right standing with Him, and we have the same right standing with Him as Jesus. We were given that standing as a gift. All right, so the Old Testament spoke of it. He mentions this here in Romans chapter 3. Let's begin at verse number uh, 21. It says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. Okay, so let's stop here for just a moment. A lot of stuff, important stuff, amen, just stated to you and me from the Word of God. First of all, righteousness apart from the law. This, again, is what was prophetically spoken of in the Old Testament that is now a reality for you and me in the New Testament. He's talking about a way to be right before God in the eyes of God, to have right standing with God, to have standing with God, right, that does not involve obeying all 613 of Moses' commandments. I'm sorry, God's commandments given to us through Moses. Okay? This is a, a much better opportunity, right? I mean, you can believe on Jesus and be right before God, or you can try to obey all 613 commands and have standing with God. I think I'm just going to believe on Jesus. Amen? But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So what is he saying being witnessed by? He's like, this, this is not a new concept. This was prophesied. It was spoken of in the, in the Old Testament. Now what was prophesied has become a reality. But notice it says, even the righteousness of God. Okay? So, if you... Let me just try to simplify this. Because people tended to ignore the all-or-nothing aspect of Moses' law. In other words, remember... The criteria was you either obey all or you're guilty of all. I don't know about you, but I like teachers in school that will give me partial credit. I was a fan of partial credit. Amen. I just recently had to complete a bunch of hours of study for my national certification. And, and um, the online classes I took, that, that professor gave partial credit, and I appreciated that. But you didn't get partial credit. The Bible says if you break one, you're guilty of all. But people tended to ignore that, and they would assign varying degrees of righteousness. Remember when Jesus pointed out the Pharisees to his disciples, and he said to them, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisee, right? So, of course, Jesus was talking about the only acceptable standard of righteousness um, and that, that would be the righteousness that God gives a man or a woman. But when the disciples heard Jesus say that, they were like, who can be saved then? Because 
they looked at those men as being well advanced in righteousness. The point being, the concept was there were different levels or degrees of righteousness that one might achieve or accomplish as, as, as they struggled through to try to become more righteous today than they were yesterday. But here he says, the righteousness that I'm referring to is what? Even the righteousness of God. Okay? In other words, that, that is the, uh, the end of, <laughs> of the spectrum, if you will. In other words, it doesn't get any more righteous than God. Are you hearing me? Can we agree on that? You don't, it doesn't get any more right with God than God. Amen? And that is the righteousness of God, right? That's the standing that we've been given. Remember, we say the same standing with God the Father as Jesus, but don't forget Jesus is God. Amen? Are you hearing me? Praise God. Listen, I'm not... I, I'm trying to be gentle with some of this, and it's, 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 it's extreme, it's awesome, it's amazing, but I'm not trying to just like, you know, pump the ball way over everybody's head this morning either, okay? But, you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're in right standing with one another. When we talk about the righteousness of God, we're talking about the standing that Jesus has with God the Father. We're talking about the standing that the Holy Spirit has with Jesus. We're talking about the, are you, yes, what I'm saying, the, 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 the fellowship, the unity, the communion. And my brother, my sister, if you've been born again, you've been given the righteousness of God. You have the same standing with God as God has with God. Somebody's getting it over here. Amen. Even the righteousness of God, let, let me, he could have said, even the righteousness of a Sadducee, even the righteousness of a Pharisee. There's, there are people who are like, oh man, that righteous? We've been made that righteous? That's, that was the way a lot of them thought. No, he says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ To a select few and on a select few who believe. Is that what it says? No, it says to all and on all who believe. To all and on all who believe. Now, that's important right there because we have the tendency to do in the New Testament what they did in the Old Testament. You know, we look at a, you know, a, a grandmotherly type who's kind and gentle and you know, has folded her hands in prayer for 10,000 hours throughout her lifetime, and we think, man, now that's, that's one righteous chick right there. You know, we just think, man, you know, amen. Well, thank God, you know, for her godliness and her holiness. But it's godliness and holiness, their states of doing. Righteousness is a state of being. Amen. Let me just help clarify here, okay? Holiness is all the things we don't do anymore because we've been made righteous. Amen. It's all the places we don't go. It's all the things we don't partake of. Uh, all the jokes we don't tell. All the things on the computer we don't look at. 
separating ourselves, all, all the things that we don't do anymore because we've been made righteous. That's holiness. Godliness is all the things we do now because we have been made righteous. God, exercise yourself towards godliness, he says. So things like reading the Bible, spending time in prayer, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, being faithful to the body of Christ, being faithful to attend church, serving and helping and these kinds of things. All of that is your godliness. Again, very important. But it's what we do now because we've been made righteous. Those two, holiness and godliness, they're states of doing. Righteousness, on the other hand, is a state of being. Now, don't get mad at me and don't run off, but listen to me, please. While your holiness and your godliness is extremely important, they do not affect your righteousness. Your righteousness is not based upon the things you do or don't do. Your righteousness is based upon what Jesus did for you and gave to you. Jesus says some amazing things in the New Testament, again, that that come into focus once we have all this understanding looking back. He said things like the greatest prophet born of a woman is John the Baptist, but the very least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Was John the Baptist a righteous man? According to the Old Testament, yes. But we received even the righteousness of God Himself through the new birth. Do you know how Jesus identified the least in the kingdom? He said even the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Do you know how Jesus identified the least in the kingdom? He said the least in the kingdom is someone who not only breaks Moses' commandments, but teaches other people to break them. <laughs> Hold on a second here. We're supposed to give that person the left foot of fellowship, aren't we? This is a manner, obviously that person is confused. They need some help in the areas of holiness and godliness in their lives. But if they've been born again, they received an abundance of grace and were given this gift of right standing, even the righteousness of God, to all and on all who believe. Not to all and on all who pray two hours a day. Not to all and on all who don't uh, look at bad things on the internet. Not to all and on all those who pay their tithes. See, we've got to understand the difference here. We've got to define the terminology. And what I've learned in my life is the more I understand my righteousness, the more I want to live holy and godly. To all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a comma there. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that word justified, it shares the same Greek root word as the word we see translated righteous and righteousness. It means just as if I'd never sinned. Who is the only human being who never sinned? Jesus. He's the only one who has that standard of righteousness in the eyes of his Father. And yet, he did that not to make himself right before God in the eyes of God. He was eternally right before God in the eyes of God. In other words, Jesus didn't come to this earth so that he would have standing with the Father. He came to this earth so that you and I could have standing with the Father. Jesus already had standing with the Father. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for you and me. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." So we see some key words that are used here. The word redemption in verse 24 and the word propitiation in verse 25. Redemption has to do with buying back. So a slave that had been sold into slavery, someone could redeem that slave by purchasing their freedom. So Jesus came to purchase your freedom, came to purchase my freedom. Now, I'm not here to, to teach on redemption so, per se this morning, but the Bible identifies that Jesus not only paid our redemption, not only um, provided our propitiation. Propitiation means um, to uh, take punishment, uh, absorb uh, wrath uh, on behalf of. So we deserve punishment. Jesus provided propitiation for you and me by taking our punishment. He became the curse so that we could be blessed. He became sin so that we could become righteousness. But here's the amazing thing about this, and this is what you've got to see, because the Scriptures teach that He ever lives to make intercession for us and that His blood now speaks better things on our behalf and is crying out to God the Father 24-7, 365. And what the Scripture teaches is that Jesus didn't just pay the debt, He didn't just provide the propitiation, but that Jesus Himself is our propitiation and that Jesus Himself is our redemption. What does that mean? It means as long as He exists, there's redemption and propitiation. It's not something He paid one time 2,000... I mean, He did pay it one time 2,000 years ago, and He paid it once and for all. But again... It, it wasn't as, as, uh, as the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter, it wasn't with gold or silver or, or precious things of the earth. It was with his own blood. It was with his own blood. Oh, praise God. Now, amen. This is kind of pretty much my introduction. Amen, but we're about out of time. Are you getting anything out of this? We keep coming back to, um, all right, so tonight, I'm going to finish, but let me tell you what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to go back to the glory of God tonight as it relates to you and me, okay? And the glory of God is, I like to simplify things, you know me, right? I like to simplify things. Everything that God is, everything that God has. But when we talk about the glory of things that God created, including you and me, we're talking about what they are meant by God to be. So your glory has been determined by your Creator. And it was determined before He ever created the first one of us. What 
he decided you were going to be. And it's, I'm telling you, it's amazing. We'll look at it again tonight in greater detail, but let me give you a hint. The Bible says it was predetermined that every one of us be conformed into the image of Jesus. Father's desire for you and me is that we all be as Jesus is to him. <sighs> Praise God. I'm talking about sonship and standing. That we all be as Jesus is to him. John 17 says he loved you with the same love he loved Jesus with. John 17 says he's given you the same glory that he gave Jesus. All right, but let me finish this morning's session in verse number 26. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. God is a righteous God. The Bible says he's a righteous judge. Okay? So he was demonstrating his righteousness. We know that the... And Romans even talks about this in, the, in, in chapter 5. It talks about Jesus' um, death on the cross as a demonstration of God's love for us. Okay? But we also see that Jesus' death on the cross was a demonstration of God the Father's righteousness. His own personal righteousness. You say, well... I'm confused by that, Pastor Mark. How, how was it a demonstration of his righteousness? It was a demonstration of his righteousness in the sense that because we sinned, we deserve punishment. And it would be unjust, or we could say it this way, it would be unrighteous for him to sweep our sin under the rug, pretend like it never happened, and assess no punishment or penalty for it. Are you hearing me? So how is it Excuse me, how is it that, that Father God is going to be just and righteous and at the same time justify His created children who have sinned against Him? Jesus afforded Him that luxury because Jesus took the blame and the punishment for our sin and Father God was able to lay all of our punishment on Jesus he in one act was able to remain a just God and at the same time justify you and me. Jesus allowed him to be just and justifier all in one. Are you seeing this? Man, our father's a genius. He's a genius. Matt, Vanessa, John Mark, y'all, singers, musicians, y'all, come on, praise God. He's a genius. To demonstrate, verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. In his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. It was all those sins that were committed, they demanded judgment. The soul that sins shall die. So what did God do? God said, I'll tell you what. It's going to be you or one of your goats. You, cho you choose. They chose the goat. They slit the goat's throat. They, let, they shed the goat's blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So, but remember, that blood didn't, didn't 
didn't remove sin. It just covered it over. Right? So it wasn't swept under a rug. It was covered over by animal blood, but it wasn't, it wasn't permanently dealt with. And so that's what he means in his forbearance. In his forbearance, instead of judging the sins of those before Jesus came, he kept looking ahead to the day Jesus would come and pay the price for it. Are you seeing this? And then to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Amen. Stand with me this morning. Praise God. Are you getting anything out of this? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Father. You know, sometimes I feel a, a real urgency, prompting of the Holy Spirit to, um, to ask if there's anyone who has never, you know, you, you're here and you've never been born again. Um, but, you know, sometimes it's just the right thing to do. And I just feel like it's the right thing to do this morning. You, if you're here and you say, Pastor Mark, I've, I've never received this gift. I've, I've, never, I've never been saved. I've never received this salvation that you've spoken of this morning. But, 